Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, and I'm actually right now going through my fourth battle. I'm almost done with radiation, and so far so good, Um, but it's just life goes on, right? Um, I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Um, Sharon, who's our co-host, is also um, the co-founder of Breast Friends with me. She's out of town right now helping her daughter in New York. So today it's just going to be me and our wonderful guest. But before we introduce her, and this is going to be a great show. So we really hope you listen and and forward it, you know, the message to other people so they can listen again later too. But um, before we get started, I wanted to share with you a little something that we kind of discover happens a lot. When, When people are diagnosed with a disease, I don't care whether it's cancer or you know, heart disease or whatever it is. So oftentimes they go online and they start searching for for opinions and experts and information. And there's so much out there. And I just we just want to caution you to be really careful because there's so much there, but so much of it's bogus or just you know, the opinions are, everybody has their own opinion. And and we had a caller or somebody who listens to quite a few of our podcasts and bless her heart, she called me last week and we had a wonderful conversation about something that she had read um, online as she was scouring the, the internet for information on mammograms. Somebody had written an article about how mammograms cause cancer or spread cancer for this, that, or the other reason. And she sent me the article, and I opened it up, and I realized the article was written by somebody named Sarah, who's a blogger who writes for some online um, magazine or something. And what Sarah had done is she probably had her own opinion on the subject, and whether you agree or disagree, that's not what this is about. But she had her own opinion, and so she went out and researched somebody and found somebody with some credentials who agreed with her. And, And that's how articles get put out there you know you, you have an opinion you find someone who agrees with it and you quote them and it gives you credibility I remember I did the same thing when I was in college I would write an article it would be all based on my opinion and then I would find experts who agreed with my opinion and we <laughs> those are the ones I would show that made my article sound reasonable but when it comes to life and death and health issues be cautious, be careful what you read and what you believe in. So Debbie from California, I want to thank you for bringing that to my attention. I think this gives us really good um, subject matter to just kind of think about because not everyone that is writing on the internet is an expert. Now, with that said, we get to move into our show, and we actually have an expert with us today. I am really excited. Our show today is very exciting, and it's about a subject that is not talked about often enough. We're going to talk about sex. And our guest today is Dr. Kat Smith, and she is America's intimacy expert, and I cannot wait to hear more. Welcome, Dr. Kat. Thanks for joining us today. 
Oh, thank you so much, Becky. I couldn't wait to get on the phone with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. And I'm sorry, Sharon, Sharon's not on the call as you heard. She's in New York. And this is public information. Her daughter is going through breast cancer right now. She's 33 years old. She has uh, triple negative breast cancer. And Sharon went back to kind of help her get through some of this. And it's it's a tough thing. So she's here with us in spirit today for sure. Um, but would you just take a minute before we kind of get into the heart of what the subject's about. You know, as I was talking about earlier, how some people are experts and some really are not. Would you just take a little bit and explain your background a little bit? And and we're going to talk about kind of why you do what you do, and then we're going to talk about what you do. So do you mind just filling us in on a little background? Yes, yes. Okay, so I have a doctorate in human sexuality. So what I did was I got the doctorate because I really wanted to understand all the components to sexuality. So there's a social, there's a, a, uh, a legal, there is a, a historical aspect. And I just wanted to, to understand all of, you know, what sexuality was all about. Um, but if you, you know, ask any of my friends, they, they would swear that I went to try to learn to have sex better. And I'm going, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be a side benefit. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but I got a doctorate in human sexuality. I'm also certified as an intimacy expert. And the reason why I call myself an entomologist is because I really focus on the intimacy. And intimacy and sex are two different things, and we can get into that a little bit long, uh, later, but um, people are really seeking an intimate connection with someone. So is entomologist, think- is that a real word or is that one you made up? Because I'd never heard that before. It's one I made up, and I if love you spell it. it with an E, it's a bug expert. Even though I can bug <laughs> the hell out of some people, I, I'm not a bug expert. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, so what inspired you to kind of go down this path? Because that's an interesting life choice, and and I I don't just yeah. Tell me how you got interested in all this to begin with. Well, you know, to get to get my degree, I went kicking and scratching because I did not want to go back to school. But my mentor was like, you need to go and get your degree. And so that's what inspired me to do that. But my history is uh, child molestation and rape. So I am a survivor. And uh, my mother is still with the man that molested me from the age of 9 to 13. So oh. I have not only had to survive that, but I, because it was not addressed and nothing was done and to help me heal from that, those experiences, I went on to uh, be a victim in other situations to date rape. So um, I finally got to a place where I, I said, you know what, it, I'm, I only have control of me, so I have to do something with this. And I've always felt that I, I was supposed to be a voice for women who couldn't communicate and articulate how it feels to be betrayed by those closest to you and victimized mm-hmm. uh, sexually. And then I said, I have to do something with this. So that is really uh, the impetus for me getting into this whole career. It's amazing how sometimes it's those, well, it's often, not sometimes, it's often those really difficult, horrible things that we go through in our lives that set us on a new path. 
And when you can recognize that and figure out what it is you're supposed to do with that, amazing things can come forward from from all of those trials. And and I'm very thankful that, I mean, I'm not thankful you went through that, but I'm thankful that you got through that and now you're on the other side of this so you can help teach others. So good for you. And um, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful well, for your willingness to share all of this with us on the radio. Oh, yeah. Thank you. But you know what? I, I always look, you know, that you know that question people ask sometimes, if you could be anyone in the world, who would you want to be? And I said, I would just want to be me because look, I, I know what that. I've gone through and mm-hmm. I know what my failures and my challenges are. And, and, you know, I know all of the intricacies about me. So I don't want to take on anybody else's stuff. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I can manage me right now. But That's also, the truth. Even some of our great superheroes have issues that if you want to be them, you got to take all that with you. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. yeah. Good point. And I always say, you know, you look at your life as a puzzle. Now, the, in the center of the puzzle is still unfinished because you're still living life and you each experience in life, you get a piece of that puzzle and you place it in there and you can kind of see the image kind of taking shape. And the last piece won't put, be put in there until you pass away. So when you're, when you're looking at life, just think of it as you're, you're just getting another piece of that puzzle. And, and, yeah, sometimes it's not pleasant what you go through. But you know what? You're still here and you're getting more pieces of that puzzle. And you'll find out what that image is going to be sooner or later. That's a really great analogy, honestly, because just, you know, when I go up to radiation and, you know, it's an everyday thing for those who have been down that path. And I was up there just this morning and again, and they have a big puzzle on the table and I always love to sit there and work on the puzzle while I'm waiting for my appointment and like you were just saying you tend to I always start with the frame got to do the frame first and work your work your way in and sometimes you get little chunks for the center but you can't really connect it all until until it's time and when you're done connecting it yeah what that's such a great visual I can see that so clearly in my head Thank you. Let me ask you, you did say you had quite a stint in radio. How did radio help you launch your career? Well, it was surprisingly that I I even got a, they secretly auditioned me for the show. So I got on and I was doing, yeah, I I didn't even know I was auditioning because I did (laughs) voice work and I modeled back in the day. And so I I went to this, you know, this call and I ended up getting, you know, the morning show co-host. And so I did morning radio from 5 to 9 uh, on the classic rhythm and blues format. And then um, I, I also hosted a, a weekly show called A Woman's Point of View, which is all the relationship uh, conversations that I would have. But um, really, it, it really empowered me to help, uh, help me to learn to interview others and really get to the, the meat of stories. And, and people really do open up when uh, someone knows how to guide them through the story. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and not, not everyone has that. So you were able to do that. And then and that, was that kind of the, was that part of the secret audition and that you had the skill and this ability and then they just hired you? How did that, how'd that come to be? No, I think because I, I always thought I was a, a female version of Eddie Murphy. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, <laughs> but no, it, they funny. they wanted a, a female co-host, and I, I I interacted well with the the other guys, so we just you know I just got lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, that's really great. You know, Sharon and I have been doing this show now for we're coming up on our hundredth episode here pretty soon. Oh, congrats! It just occurred to me, all these TV stations and shows that it's our 100th episode. Well, I think we need to do something special for our 100th episode. I'll have to see when that is, but it's coming up. I think you're like number 94 maybe or something. So we're we're coming up on it pretty soon. I think that's pretty exciting. And, you know, and, and you just never know if this is going to be something that you love to do or something that you just like stress every week. Well, Sharon and I love doing it probably as much as you loved doing it. So we meet some amazing people and... And, you know, it's just, it's really been exciting for us to get to know people just like you. So let's, let's going to switch gears for just a minute because we've got a lot to talk about with this. And I want to ask you right off the bat, I think there's a lot of confusion between, well, I'm going to throw another word into the mix too, romance, intimacy, and sex. And can you just give us a clinical description from your, your, education training what is the difference between intimacy and sex and then where does romance fit into that okay and that, that is such a good question becky because i am working my my whole career to re-educate re-educate people on what the difference is intimacy well let me start with sex sex is the physical expression of the desire the lust the passion and sometimes the love, because we know sometimes love has nothing to do with it, of how, uh, how we're attracted to someone. So it's a physical expression. Okay. Intimacy is the care, the trust, the nurturing, the uh, communication, the bonding, the, um, the affection. It's all of these, and it's so many more things. I even had to write a book about it because intimacy is so much more. Sex and romance and passion, all of those are components of intimacy. But I always say sex lasts, on average, about seven minutes. Not giving you the, uh, the before and after play, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it's about seven minutes. What are you doing with the rest of your time to truly connect with that person? Because okay. when you roll over and you still feel empty, you don't feel like... There was a connection there. Mm -hmm. That means the intimacy is lacking. And as far as romance is concerned, romance is that, you know, when you you sit down to a meal and you you take the first bite and you're going, "Mm, something's missing, and you sprinkle on a little salt or a little uh, spicy pepper or something, that's romance to the relationship. You add a little bit of mm to to the recipe. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. I love yeah. that. <laughs> you know, I'm married to a very, very romantic man. And I one, one year for our anniversary, I was working at a retail store. And on our anniversary, it was time for me get, to get off work. He came and showed up and told me to leave my car. He was picking me up. And we we went dressed just like I was from my retail job, and we went up into this uh, into the beautiful Columbia Gorge area. And what I didn't know was in the back of the car, he had a little folding table and some wine and and some sandwiches that he made. And he set us up in this beautiful spot with this amazing view, and he laid out this this meal for us. And it was a little picnic, and and to me that was 
that was romance. It, it, is that romance or is that intimacy? I think that's the romance. No, that's you romance think? because you know, I always say date night is mandatory. You have got to invest in your relationship and having that, you know, we spend more time watching Scandal and Game of Thrones and other shows. I mean, we record them and everything. We won't miss them, but we don't give that dedication to our relationships. We, oh, you know, just, wow. you know, kind of like, oh, I, you know, yeah, he's there. And a lot of times we use language that's, you know, like you're so exasperated, like, oh, it's over there, you know. And it's like, <laughs> you know, they just, we don't really invest in our relationship mm-hmm. like we should. Mm-hmm. And that's that kind of leads toward that intimacy part when, you know, when you ask each other a question and then you respond lovingly and kindly. Yeah, that that's that's intimate, because like you said, it's based on trust and affection and, you know, and those things. And and so, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And then when you've got the romance and you've got the intimacy, then the sex part is just kind of the fulfillment of all of that. And then, like you said, when you roll over at the end of it all, you don't feel empty. You feel exactly. fulfilled, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. That is yeah. perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because uh, if you have to understand, intimacy begins at infancy. So when a child gets all of those touches and kisses and hugs and they're made to feel that they're loved and they feel comfortable saying I love you and, and they, they're not pushed because boys as young as four years of age are pushed away from emotional development and more into physical development. And so they don't, a lot of, a lot of men don't have that empathy to know how it feels because they have not allowed themselves to feel certain emotions. They have mm-hmm. been suppressing them their entire life. So it's like that, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, if someone asks you how to describe what a mango tastes like and you've never tasted a mango, you can't describe it. So it's true. The same thing with emotions. If you don't develop your emotions in that and really take advantage of that intimacy that you're experiencing from, from mom, I always say men want mom with benefits because mom was the <laughs> first introduction to intimacy. She, she yeah. nurtured, she cared, she made them feel so loved and, you know, taken care of. And safe, and that's yeah. That's what men want, but they want the yeah. sex too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. That That's definitely okay. Well, you know, we're going to go out to our first break, and when we come back, we're going to pick up this conversation in maybe a slightly different direction because obviously when, when women are diagnosed with breast cancer, there's a lot of things that change in this arena, and it's unfortunate, but I, I'm sure there are ways and things that we can do to try to recapture some of that. So when we come back from our break, please stay tuned because we're going to have a pretty deep conversation about some of this. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. 
When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Dr. Kat Smith, America's Intimacy expert about sex and intimacy and romance and how they all differ and I have a really important question for you though Dr. Cat may I ask why do men and women have such a challenge communicating and seeing seeing these things differently I I think there's a I think there's a misunderstanding with men and women see romance and sex differently what what do you think well, Why is it um, I mean, it's a great question because, I mean, that is, it's a challenge for a lot of us, okay? And uh, just because I'm, you know, in this career doesn't mean that I'm going to make my husband you know, understand any more than the average <laughs> man. But I do make him stop and, and communicate with me. But, however, let, men and women are just totally different in how we have been programmed, Okay, men are more physical, and they think intimacy is a physical exchange. They are very physical in their their programming. Women are more emotional, so we want that deep, intimate connection. Men want sex, and again, that's fine. Sex is a beautiful exchange between two people, but the the confusion comes when we don't speak the same language. And I say that men speak speak testosterone and women speak estrogenish. <laughs> <laughs> you like to make up words. You're pretty good at it. <laughs> well, because we do. It's so, um, we're so different in how we're raised and programmed, and we have different perspectives, and I call it a love perspective because a lot of things influence your love perspective or your views on love, sex, and romance. There's mm-hmm. religion. There's uh, life experience. There's culture. There's ethnicity. There's um, gender. There's society. There's a media. So there's a lot of things that um, influence your beliefs about love, sex, and romance. And you have to, you know, come to an understanding of what's your truth and then really communicate. You can't go on just saying, oh, you know, a man will be a man. No, you got to, you know, explain to him this, well, 
this behavior is not a, you know acceptable and and in a relationship there is compromise or uh, collaboration, should I say, is a better mm-hmm. word, because you do, you're collaborating to make this relationship work. So you can't, you know, be silent and, you know, say, if he asks what's, what's wrong, oh, nothing, you know. <laughs> no, you yeah, I'm fine. Communicate, yeah, you know, you have to communicate. So, yeah, we speak yeah. a different language, and, and it's just, it takes the time to uh, learn the art of listening mm-hmm. and and really communicating, sharing your thoughts and your ideas and, and how you feel about things and not, you know, not being silent. Yeah. And recognizing those differences doesn't make doesn't make anybody right, neither side's right or wrong. It just is. I heard a description one time on a show, and I can't remember. I wish I could because I always love to give credit when I steal somebody else's quote, but I can't remember who said this. But they said basically when you describe the different view that men and women have about sex, you know, women are like a crock pot, you know, foreplay starts first thing in the morning and it builds all day. And it's like this cooking in a crock pot. It's a slow, comes to a boil slowly. And then it's time for dinner, you know. But for a man, it's kind of more like a microwave oven. Boom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love and I loved too. that analogy. I just can't remember where I heard it, but it was really pretty good. And do you think that's true? Yes, I do, because men can think about sex and the blood can go right to where it needs to go and there's an erection. With women, men have to understand, we've got to think about, okay, you know, what's going on in my life? Let me download, let me get in the mindset of sex. Okay, brain, now make my body react to sex. So you got to lubricate Mm -hmm. and you got to get even, you know, just being able to shed all the worries about the day and responsibilities so that you, your body can react to sex, you know, or the idea of having sex. And, you know, so it's not like, you know, they can just dive in there and go, you know, pumping (laughs) away. You've got to be able to engage her. That's really true. Emotionally, yes. You know, and then when you start adding into that mix a health crisis, you know, I remember, and I was I was sharing this with you a little bit at the break, but my first cancer diagnosis came at the age of forty three, and I was in my prime. And they say, you know, women in their forties are are very still raring to go and all that. And you know, my husband and I've been married a long time at that point, but. But still, I mean, to get a cancer diagnosis and then to be put on chemotherapy drugs and certain things, certain kinds of treatments kind of force you into that, into menopause. And I reached menopause very quickly and my body kind of fought it for a while, but but it's not, I didn't have that slow, gradual, get accustomed to it. No, it was, it was quick and sudden and hot flashes and and drying up and and I just and then of course you add to that the self-esteem issues that come with when your hair falls out and you've got no eyebrows or eyelashes and so the beauty feels like it's gone and my breasts have now changed shape and um, just everything and I felt so hideous and then to not have a sex drive on top of it because my estrogen levels were just were just falling I mean it was it was awful how do how does that come into play, and how do we how do we work with that? And our poor husbands, they just kind of get left shaking their heads, going, "But you're still beautiful to me." <laughs> you know, how do, well, you how know, do it, we do that? It, 
It's difficult, like you said, and, and you've, you've lived it, so you understand that mm-hmm. our perception of our bodies and our lover's desire for us, a lot of us think that because our bodies have changed that he doesn't want to be with us, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, in, in men, sometimes, you know, because they get breast cancer as well, they may feel that they're not attractive anymore to their mm-hmm. lovers. So with the physical changes and our, of our appearance, you know, and women losing our breasts, I mean, that's one of our identifying, you know, characteristics. Yeah. To not have breasts. I mean, women with small breasts already get it, you know, (laughs) get teased and everything. So when you Mm -hmm. lose your breasts, I mean, that's a huge, huge impact, Mm -hmm. you know, how we view ourselves. Well, there's that erogenous zone there, too, that, you know, for me, that was a big part of of that. And now it's gone and there's no feeling there anymore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's just such a bigger issue than I think people who've never had to experience this. And thankfully, they won't have to. But it's such a big issue. And for some just now going through it. It, it's a it's a breaker. I mean, it, it this really hurts a lot of marriages and yep. and yeah. So how do we fix that? Well, you know, it's important to stay connected, it, and I intimacy is so important because first of all, you you know, he's going through stuff too. Everyone around you, when you get diagnosed or you're going through something, everybody else is affected as well. Yeah, you, you know, you're. You're physically, mentally, and emotionally drained. So now you have to build up your physical strength. Your, you know, you'll go through your grieving processes, and you know you have all of that to deal with. But also, there's a lot of benefit from the intimacy, from the the power of touch is amazing. So don't pull away from everybody. You need to draw into everybody. You know it. The power of touch, it relaxes and it lowers stress levels, so sort of cortisol levels. It opens and releases blocked energy. And a lot of people say that cancer can sometimes be blocked energy. Also, it releases oxytocin and vasopressin, which are emotional and social bonding hormones. It increases your awareness. It supports the whole body healing, which you very much need at that time, and it awakens your senses. So where one sense kind of starts to, you know, have a challenge, the other senses are, are awakened or are stronger. You know, and that's really true. That's that's really very true. I've, I've found out that there's certain spots on me that, I mean, I never realized how much sensitivity I have in my neck. You know, just mm-hmm. in my neck, because <laughs> that's that's yeah, yeah. close to all that. You know, and there's there's a lot of sensitivity there. And you know, when my husband's stroking my neck, it feels wonderful. And you know, so yeah, find that power of touch. You know, one of the things that we do, Doctor Cat, and our son actually introduced us to this concept. And he was, it's the 15 second hug. And I guess there's a whole theory around it. But basically, when you embrace for a hug with your intimate partner, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but if it's your intimate partner, your how your husband, um, spouse, whoever, embrace for 15 seconds. And I mean, the first, it takes you the first few seconds just to kind of nestle in and get comfortable. And then once you're comfortable, then really embrace and feel that touch and maybe move your hands up and down, you know, your your 
partner's back and feel just feel that hug and feel that that you can I just feel my tension release when we do that and we started doing that 15 second hug every day several months ago and I think it's really helped our marriage a lot because even when things get tense it's like okay hug time and we just stop and hug each other and you know that power of touch is huge and you know I yeah so what else can you can you address on that because I think that's that's certainly important Yes, what you just said is so important. Uh, one of the things I always tell my couples is no run by kissing. So no run by, no drive by kissing, okay? Stop and be in the moment and allow your body to release these wonderful hormones. And, you know, especially if you're about to get out in the traffic, you know, I mean, this prepares you for the day. It gives you that little bit, little bit of an edge that you don't have the stress and you can handle the stress of the traffic. And, and especially if you're going to a job where you're not very happy and you have to deal with difficult people, it kind of gives you that little thing of knowing that, oh, but when I go home, I have all this love and care that is waiting for me in my corner that loves and cares for me. It kind of sends them <laughs> off. It's kind of like, you know, get, sending your kid off with a good, healthy lunch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Send them off, you know. Well, I was writing down when you said no run by or drive by kissing. I was kind of chuckling under my breath and writing that down as you said that because how often do we do that? And, you know, so you take... You take four seconds and you plant a, plant a one right on your partner. So they're going to be four seconds later going to wherever it is that they went. You know, whoopie yeah. do, right? It's yeah. definitely, definitely worth taking that because to be in the moment is, is huge. And that's part of that intimacy. It's part of that romance. And when you're feeling that, you know, maybe the rest of it can kind of start to follow too. It, it is so, this is such a big, big topic. Um, and I don't want to run out of time. So I'm going to go to some more questions that, that I had for you. Um, when, is it common for a man to run away when his lover gets ill? I've heard that. I and I, well, I wouldn't say it's common, but it does happen. And, and avoidance issues are due to anxiety. Again, okay. Men are programmed differently. They're programmed to fix the problem. And if it's not a physical thing, they don't know how to deal with it. And they haven't, most of them haven't developed their emotions, so they have no voice. They have no understanding of all of this stuff. And he's been told to suppress his emotions, so don't cry and, you know, all of this stuff. So he's dealing with all of that. So when if he feels shut off and no one's telling him like, oh, look, this is normal and, you know, and you're not communicating with him to help him understand what you're going through and you're trying to help him along, he can feel shut off. And if he feels inadequate or you know, unappreciated or wanted or need, unneeded, he's going to think that, okay, he's going to translate that to weakness or, you know, he's going to think that's the worst thing a man can think. That he's weak and he can't yeah. do what a man is supposed to do. So he, if he runs, if he you know leaves, it's because he just has this anxiety. It's that things are out of his control. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That really does. I know sometimes when my husband and I are having a conversation and if I if I'm really not looking for advice or I'm not looking for him to fix it, you're right though the natural tendency is I think that that men do want to fix because they want us to be happy. I mean, mm-hmm. bottom line, you know, they want us to be happy. Now, if they can make us happy and they can fix something that will make us happy, then life is good, right? But sometimes some things aren't fixable. And there are times when I just need to vent or I need to cry or I just I just need someone to hear me or hold me. And so if I start the conversation by saying, honey, I need to talk about something. I, I don't expect you to fix it or, you know, solve the problem because I, I don't I don't think anybody can. I just need to just need to speak and I just need you to hear me and hold me. Can you do that? He always he's always there for that. Absolutely I can do that. And and, and then is, he knows I'm taking yeah. the expectation away. You know and that does, is beautifully stated and it's easy and it's it, it prefaces the whole conversation so now that he knows what's expected of him and so he's listening differently. Okay? Yeah. So the fact that you say this before the conversation just you know, helps him to understand, okay, these are my parameters, I'm, you know, let me listen, okay. You know? And he, then he can make suggestions if there is something that maybe would help or could kind of give you a different view on things, then he can offer that. But, you know, it's, it's a simple process. We make it complicated by, you know, saying, oh, well, I need to talk, and then you just kind of start, you know, regurgitating all this stuff. <laughs> And, then, and of course, the worst okay. thing you can say to anybody is, "We need to talk." Because <laughs> yeah, it's like, right? "What did I do?" <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then throwing this all that this out, and then he's like, "Going, okay, well, let me fix this because she's unhappy. I can feel it in you know. I can see the tension. I can see the unhappiness, the stress in her life. Let me fix it." And you know, and then you get upset, and you're like, well, "I didn't want to fix it." And, you know, it's like, no, just stop and say, "Well, honey, thank you for those suggestions, but I really don't want. It. I just need to vent, and it's need." to say yeah. what I need to say. So you that was a perfect example that you gave. Thank you. You know, and I wish I could remember to do that all the time, but <laughs> sometimes I forget, but that's okay. Um, so let me ask you before we run out into our next break here, um, when, when a family's in crisis like that, do you think it's wise for a husband and wife to maybe go in for, for some kind of counseling? Is there a type of counseling that can help them communicate at, when this kind of thing is going on? Or is it just something you have to just kind of pick up along the way and learn? Or is this something you teach? I, how's that well, work? Well, there, there's several ways we can address it. If, it's, if it is a family, I do a thing called a love infusion, and it's my take on an intervention because a love infusion, is its foundation is love. Everyone there loves you, and we're going to talk in loving language, and we're going to, everybody's going to share how they're feeling about what they're going through so that everybody can support each other. That's so, a great but if, idea. If the guy is, is, if the couple is needing to go to someone, yes, there's so many ways that they can, someone can be a mediator, someone can help them to ask the right questions, mm-hmm. to help them be able to find their voice and express what they're feeling and, and give them a, a, an environment where they feel comfortable sharing their most intimate concerns with someone. I think that's great because I think a lot of people wait for counseling until there's real problems that they seem that they can't fix. But if you go to counseling to just try to 
get over this hump and figure out how to make this work better. I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, we're going to pick up more of this conversation on the other side of the break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking with Dr. Kat Smith, America's intimacy expert. And we were really on a good conversation about husbands and wives and how they can kind of reconnect during this time of crisis. But Dr. Kat, let me ask you about the family because, you know, sometimes there's children involved or there's parents involved. How, what, what kind of what do families need? You know, I mean, it's it's not just the person going through the illness, but what do families need when they're dealing when there's a relative in their midst that's going through cancer? How how can how can people support the family in this process? Well, understanding that first of all, they have been thrown for a loop. Okay, so their normal is totally going to change. So trying to make everything more normal and giving them more comfort and, and giving them opportunities to, to share how they're feeling and talk about plans for the future and talk about happy times. Share a lot of laughter. That is just wonderful because everybody tends to kind of like 
you know, stiffen up and go, oh, this is not a happy time, so we can't laugh about things. And Oh, um, isn't that the truth? You know, yes. it's like, I can't laugh or make a joke because then she'll think I don't take it seriously. Yeah, no, I, I believe in laughter a lot. Yeah, and, 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 and do the, the happy things. I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we think about um, if time ends, okay, we, we want to live as if t- you know, time is ending. We should do that all the time. We should, you know, share the flowers and the, and the laughter and the hugs and the kisses and, and uh, enjoy the foods that you want and the scents and the music and dance and do all of those things because we're never promised. So trying to make life as normal as possible and give them opportunities to share and to talk and to and they were they were going through a grieving process as well, because that oh. normality, you know, normal life that what they what they knew was their normal, has now changed. True. So they're going to grieve all of that. And they're going to grieve things that they miss. You know, the way that person was or whatever. So yeah, just giving them the opportunities to share and to to bring back the normal normalcy in mm-hmm. their life. And I'm I'm kind of hearing a, a kind of an undertone of something in what you just said too that intimacy isn't something that just happens between spouses or partners. Intimacy is something that it's our whole family. There's an intimacy in the family that involves trust and affection and and all of that. Um, so it's like don't leave the others out of of kind of what's happening because they all need to feel somewhat connected. And I, I mean, I know there's age appropriateness too that you, you need to be sensitive to, but, but just bringing the family in. So kind of like we're all in this together sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. I, I've seen that's worked. That worked in our family when we brought it up to our children. When I was first diagnosed, I didn't tell them until I had enough information to kind of round out the picture for them. But, but at some point they, we were all connected in this. And, and I think that that's really important rather than leaving kids out wondering what's going on with mom and dad. Why are they whispering all the time? You know, there's, and then they start to wonder what's going on and they don't know. So intimacy goes all the way through the family. I, I think personally. Um, So let me ask you a couple of other things. What are some things that, that families or husbands and wives, however, what are some things that you can do daily to create intimacy? I talked about the 15-second hug. That's what my husband and I have chosen to do. But there are other things. What, do you have some ideas on that? Yeah, I, you know, affection is one of my main things. If, if, first of all, women need affection on a daily basis. And yes, we why? do. Are because, you men out there yeah. listening? <laughs> yes, we yeah. do. And if... We are given affection on a daily basis, and that is normal for us. When he's going in to initiate sex and he wants to give you that, you know, shoulder rub or he wants to give you that eye, you know, that look, yeah, girl, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> then you won't retract and, you know, get upset. It's like, oh, that's all you think about because the only time you're affectionate is when you want sex. So it's true. A- Affectionate on a regular basis, her mind won't immediately go to, oh, he just wants sex. She'll it's feel kind of like that crockpot theory. <laughs> yeah, you know, she'll feel appreciated and desired and loved and and all of that. So affection is the first thing. So give affection, you know, hugs, kisses, caresses, that look of love, all of that. T- 
tell them that you love and appreciate them. A lot of couples go on day to day without saying, yeah, I love you. Oh, you know, thank you so much for that. I just love it when you do that. Or you are such a good father or mother. Or you know, Just show them that you tell them that you appreciate them. And then we've already talked about the no run by kissing. Just really be <laughs> I love that. That's such a visual. That's a, that was great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then how do you maintain that long term? You know, it seems like that's newlyweds. Oh, yeah, we've been married for a year and we're always like that. Okay, that's great. What about the couple? My husband and I have been married 37 years now. And, you know, it, it, as time goes by, it becomes a little bit more difficult because there's so many things going on in our lives and time is critical. And so how do you maintain that long, long term, do you think? Well, with the romance. You okay. know, and I say date night is mandatory. If you think of your relationship as a plant, if you neglect it with no sunshine, no water, no nutrients, it's going to shrivel up and die. Your relationship is a living, breathing thing. Date night is mandatory. Put away your devices. Engage <laughs> in conversation. Plan something that you both enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you if you if it's kids that are taking up more of your time, then trade off with another couple who has kids. Okay, you take my kids that sleep over for our night, and then we'll take your kids on your date night. So yeah, everybody's happy, right? Uh, that's a great. That's a great idea, you know. For those with young kids, uh, that's a one. My daughter and her husband, I do believe they have some kind of date night exchange. At least they used to. I, I think they still do. Um, but yeah, it works. It works really well, and it cuts down on some of the expenses of hiring babysitters because you're both in the same boat. So, yeah, yeah. that's great. I, I do want to make a comment to something that you said a few minutes ago, and that was that women need affection daily, all the time. You know, I I kind of personally think that men need affection too um you know they're they're so used to i think getting kind of beat up at work and and there's just so much that gets dumped on them i know that when i'm affectionate to my husband and you know just pat him on the shoulder when i walk by or kind of rub the top of his head or you know just something and and for him even a run by kiss is probably better than no kiss at all but um but just that little bit of affection i think really goes a long way for him is the, is he abnormal or is that do you think that's probably true for most men i yeah i totally agree with you and i didn't mean to make it seem like it you know affection is just for women men need affection and i'll tell you what when men are exposed to affection on a norm you know in a normal basis, you know, regularly, then then they understand that affection is not for just initiating sex. So they get a different understanding and learn to express themselves affectionately. I'll tell you an example. When my husband and I first started dating, uh, and it's an interracial relationship, so I thought, well, maybe it's because he's worried about how people will look at us because we are in the South, God forbid. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I love at, the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but sometimes the interracial couple, you know, they are not received as well. But um, we, I thought maybe he was worried about that. So I mean, he would never like hold my hand, and we would be walking like, "Hey, we got, we're just two buddies," <laughs> you know. And I'm going, "Really, dude?" And so eventually. <laughs> He started to hold my hand and and snuggle up and and all this. Now he is so affectionate. 
But it took him time, and I, I started showing him this affection, and he gradually reciprocated, and he felt more comfortable doing it. It's, it's a process, but, yeah, I think men will learn more because they, they knew it from mom. Mom gave him a lot of hugs and kisses and touches, and, and mm-hmm. you know, that they set those patterns of affection early, but then they were pushed away from it. So you can restart that and reboot that. In a man. That's true. That's true. Well, I, I love this conversation, and I don't want us to run out of time before we get to a couple of last questions I want to ask you. You know, you mentioned early on in our interview, right up front, about the abuse that you suffered as a child. And I know this is switching gears completely, but I, I don't want to kind of leave that there. I want to ask you, what was the most beneficial kind of support that you received in your recovery? Because you said you got through that, you recovered from it. What what was, was there one thing that happened that, that made that become real for you? Or what? I'm, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not out of line asking you that question, but I just think it's important. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. I, I think it was finding the strength in my own knowing that I did nothing to cause it to happen to me. Mm, that's important. The blame is, you know, it can sabotage your healing. And let me say one thing about child molestation, the guilt that is associated with how it felt to be touched in those sensitive areas and your body naturally reacts to them, to those Mm -hmm. touches, there is so much guilt around that because it shouldn't feel good because this person shouldn't be touching me. True. And that guilt, um, being able to, you know, know for yourself that that no, nothing you did caused that to happen to you. Mm. And, and having that freedom to say, I know that you were wrong and I did nothing, you know, to cause mm-hmm. it to happen. That was the most... Um, and that's probably the hardest part to let go of, but I'm really glad you did, and I'm sure with counseling and support that way, you were able to, to get through that, or was yeah. it something else? No, yes, support mm-hmm. and, and counseling. Okay. Even though I had one Good. counselor, a male counselor, that asked me, well, what were you wearing? Oh, like, no. Oh, yes. Oh, that is so I, old-fashioned, I a, isn't it? Oh, yeah, oh. and I gave him quite a, a piece of my mind. Good. <laughs> At that I, age, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I told good, good him, I you. said, you should have your license taken. So anyway, but yeah, wow. there, and then I got fired from a job because I told my boss that I had been date raped, and she fired me on the spot. Wow. So there are a lot of people who can't deal with what you're going through. So when you find someone who's telling you to, oh, well, get over it, or, oh, you know, oh, you'll be fine, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of waving you off, you just know that that's not the person. They can't deal with it. Okay, yeah. so you find the next person who's strong and, and nurturing and caring and loving and gives you that space to to share and, to, and they give you that support. So don't worry about those other folks. Good. Well, listen, we are we are really just about out of time, so I'm going to give you one nutshell. You got to put it into a little tiny teaspoon, okay? okay. Uh, what give one piece of advice you can give to those who are feeling lonely in their journey to healing? I mean, we're all in different places. What's one last little piece of advice? And you got to talk fast. Well, to find that inward inner voice and listen to that inner voice that is nurturing and loving and supportive. You right. have it within you. You just got to find it. 
And I think we all do have it in us. So thank you so much, Dr. Kat. I have so enjoyed this interview. You are tremendous. I love what you do. Do you have an email address people can find, reach out to you if they very quickly email or, email or website? Either yeah, one. Ask at drkatsmith.com or you can go to drkatsmith.com and you can find all of my connections there. Okay, and it's Dr. Cat is K-A-T, not C-A-T. Yes. All right, well, we are out of time, so I just want to let you all know we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.